Today's date is 11-21-21. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 37, beginning with our first example. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Our behavior is, is as absurd, absurd, absurd uh, to and including page 39, that may be true. Uh, and our reader uh, will be uh, Arlene. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Arlene, Recovered Compulsive Eater. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years, in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he's hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you as he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, this con conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work, his wife gets a divorce, and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known method to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Surely uh, such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we've had some of these symptoms, but we've not gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to, for we understand ourselves so well after what you've told us that such things cannot happen again. We've not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize, to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. Thank you. Thank you, Arlene, for reading today. And it's my pleasure to introduce our uh, speaker for today, uh, Esther C. from uh, 
from Canada, our, our northern neighbor. Um, and Esther, for, um, for a very nominal fee, um, I can let you know when you've reached like the 15 minute mark, um, if you would like that, would that be okay? That'd be great, thank you. Okay, and I'll let you know where you can send the funds, all right? <laughs> um, all righty, um, so um, without any further ado, um, uh, welcome, welcome. Thank you, it's so nice to be on the line. Nice to connect with you, some of you again. Um, this, this chapter is very interesting. I'm gonna get to the paragraphs that we just read because it basically has one thing to tell us and it tells us many times and in an increasingly stronger language. It gives us three stories to, you know, three true, you know, real life uh, stories to illustrate the point it's trying to make. And then it goes and it gives us like a ridiculous parable of the jaywalker just in case we didn't get the point. So what is the point they're trying to make? The most, um, I think, um, relevant line that was read today was thanks for the information. I wanna talk about this idea of information. We have a lot of information at this point, right? We've uh, read through the doctor's opinion, so we know about our allergy. And then we read Bill's stories, um, which was his story. And then we hopefully, working with our sponsors, got to write our own story. And then we, and there is a solution. We basically touched on what it is that needs to happen for us to have um, relief from our, um, in our case, compulsive overeating. And then comes along this, this chapter more about alcoholism. You already told us everything you're about to tell us. Why are you telling it to us again? Because, because why? So we read the story of the jaywalker and anyone who reads that story says to themselves, where's this guy's brains? He doesn't, he's behaving in a way that's not normal, right? And then I say to myself, yes, Esther, where were your brains when you were in the disease? And I'm not even going to talk about before I came into Overeaters Anonymous because you could, I could argue I didn't know anything about the allergy at that point, right? I didn't know about anything. I just ate and couldn't, didn't know why I couldn't stop. So I don't think that this chapter is talking about people who haven't been in the rooms. This chapter gives us three examples of people who had the information, right? Those are the people, maybe you know some of them, I was one of them for a period of time, who are in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. They've read through the big book, they know the information, and they're still, still in a place where they don't want to be busy with the food, they're still in that insane um, cycle that we learned about in the doctor's opinion. So why is that? What is this thing about information? So I read the jaywalk and I go, this guy's crazy, right? But I'm sure there are people who are looking at what I'm doing or, or maybe people in the rooms of Overage Anonymous, oh, you know, with that whole relapse on again, off again cycle. So, um, so one of the things that's hard to understand um, Everyone, everyone's really good about understanding the, the allergy of the body. It's that mental obsession. And the big book doesn't call it obsession. Um, I think someone told me that in the AA 12 and 12, it refers to the mental obsession. But in this chapter, it has a few ways of referring to um, the thinking that um, is present in, in a true compulsive overeater, the true alcoholic, right? I wasn't just a hard eater. I wasn't just someone who ate too much. There are those type of people. Some, some of them are are heavy, some of them are not heavy, some of them, you know, eat too much over the holidays and they diet, they're like on their on again, off again diets. That's that's not what what um what differentiates me or makes me the compulsive overeater. So I wanna I wanna tell you about an exercise that a fellow of mine showed me, which I like to do um sometimes I like to do it with people who they they don't have to be sponsees, but with fellows. So I have them 
I, I said to them, take one minute and I want you to write down all the truths about your disease, all the truths about your disease and how it affected your life. So I said, I, when I did the exercise myself, I wrote, you know, uh, it, it exacerbated my medical condition and I was spending money like crazy, especially on food and on clothing in different sizes. And I was having difficulty, you know, um, relating to my family and having arguments and I wasn't able to be employed, et cetera, right? So I spent a minute and in a minute, you could probably get a few, um, you know, good, uh, a few, uh, what's the word, juicy tidbits about the unmounted belly of your life down, right? And I said, okay, let's go to the other side of the page. And on that side of the page, I want you to write down some of the thoughts that enter your mind, just as you're about to pick up, right? I don't know if any of you have had this experience where you've been abstinent and everything's going good and you're feeling amazing. And then the next thing you know, you eat something that you shouldn't and you're back in relapse, right? So, so think about the thought that enters your mind at that point. And uh, or so, one, there could be more than one, it could be different each time and then write that down. And so they write, you know, write that down. And then when they, when they, you know, when they, when they're done, I say, what, what does it mean? The mental obsession? It means that one little thought, like, Oh, I'll be fine. You know, I'll start, you know, Monday morning. Oh, it's not really so bad. Cause I never got past a size, you know, I don't know, 18 or whatever thought that you had. All it takes is one thought like that, right? You have, a, imagine a, a whole edifice of, of, of the pain that your disease brings you and then you have one little thought like a fleeting thought and that has the power to smash everything that in your experience your entire experience everything you know about the disease your everything you know about your experience with disease and everything you've learned in the big book it becomes like rubble in the face of that one thought and that's what the mental obsession is and that's what this chapter is trying to tell us in the story of the jaywalker when we when we when we read it we realize how ridiculous it is right but but then when we look at our own experience it doesn't seem as much as ridiculous and that's why i love that line thanks for the information right the in this chapter um the three men that they bring and their experience having the information and then drinking again they think that having the information is going to help them and the big book is telling us information is not going to lead to transformation. Information isn't going to help you when that moment comes and that and that um, queer mental twist is going to overtake you. And like it's, it's, it, will, it will be just the stupidest idea that's going to send you back to the food. And this is and this is um, why. And, and like I said, they're using increasingly strong language to to try to tell us um, that last paragraph that we read. They want to smash home upon our alcoholic readers. Like how many times do we have to tell you, it looks like we're going to have to smash home to our alcoholic readers, um, the point we're trying to make. And this is what separates us from everybody else who doesn't have our problem. And even separates us from, like I said, the hard eaters. There are a lot of people who eat too much and they're on diets all the time. That's not my story, right? Because um, eventually some of them stop, but also, the unmanageability of their lives doesn't reach the point that that mine reached. Like if you look at the jaywalker, like it, his um, life gets increasingly worse, right? Um, where are we? You know, in the hospital, broken arms and legs, etc. So the big book is about to embark in the next chapter. They're going to about to begin us on our journey of the spiritual transformation, so we can have that psychic change. Um, and the reason it's going to do so is because that's the only thing that will remove that mental obsession. By being abstinent, we can, um, we can, uh, what's the word? We can ensure that we don't trigger the um, 
the allergic reaction, the phenomenon of craving. But the only way that they that they know of and from their experience and that they're teaching us today is to um, to uh, to prevent the mental obsession from rearing its ugly head is to do those steps and to have that psychic change. And that is, um, that's why to me, this chapter is very important. I would even say um, that this chapter is very important for those of us who are in OA year after year after year and struggling for, struggling for, um, for our recovery um, on again, off again, um, abstinence and relapse. And the other thing I might add is that um, the spiritual transformation that we experience in doing the steps, it's not a one and done um, affair, meaning it's something that needs to be maintained um, on a daily basis. And one of the things I find about myself and certainly in my discussions with other people is that we can, we can, we don't have to, we can, if I get lazy about my spiritual, um, my spiritual uh, foundations, then what could end up happening is that some of those thoughts in them, you know, might start to speak to me, not in, not in crazy ways, like, oh, you could have one of your binge foods, but even in just uh, like, if you ever find yourself negotiating with yourself or your sponsor about certain foods that you should or shouldn't eat, or that maybe they should be on your plan, you know, it's a good thing to check to make sure that your spiritual practices are where they should be, because the mental obsession, it's, it's not, um, it's not something, it's like a state of execution. It's not something that you could kill and, and be done with. It's something that in order to keep it at bay, then it's this maintaining that spiritual connection with the God of our understanding is very important. So I don't know that I have that much more to share about these, you know, this paragraph in particular, like I said, I always read this and I think this, this thing is, is so ridiculous. Right. And the truth is I know there are areas of my life where I don't have the mental obsession, right. When it, when it came to alcohol, I didn't have it. Shopping was another thing where I would say I was a heavy shopper for a number of years, but I was able to say, Oh, you know, you don't want to like start borrowing money and paying credit card interest. So you better stop. Um, so, so then I did, and it was fine. And, you know, sometimes I'll go and have a little splurge of something and then I'll get back on track, but there's, I don't experience the unmanageability and I don't experience the, um, the, the, like, you know, the, the, the effects described in these three stories of, of being a hard shopper or whatever it is. So um, sometimes it helps me um, um, to see my food the way it really is by looking at the things where I don't have an issue, right? Um, so again, with this um, Jay Walker, it's a, it's a great gift that the authors of this book bring us this little parable because when we see it um, laid out, we see this Jay Walker the way other people see us. Perhaps you've had that experience. I know as a little girl being fat, people would say, why don't you just stop eating? Why don't you just push yourself away from the table? Why don't you just eat half? Why don't you just not have second helping of dessert? Why do you do this to yourself? Look how it makes you feel. Look how it makes you look. Don't you want to get married one day? Like, you know, all the things that we were told. And you would think that that was enough and it wasn't enough because there was something that was propelling me to act in that way, um, which which wasn't, um, you know, which wasn't, uh, it wasn't the same for the people who were just the hard ears. It wasn't the same for the people who could limit themselves. Uh, I think, I know I'm really under time, but I think that's it, all that I have to share on this, these paragraphs. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.